Welcome to Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing, and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Rich. I'm Kat. Hey. Hi. Sorry about the noise. I was going to call the cops. In this episode, we're talking about the haunting 2011 drama Drive, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn, with a screenplay by Hossein Amini and based on the novel by James Salis. This won Refn the Best Director Award at the 2011 Cannes Film Festival and saw Ryan Gosling take on his first lead role in an action film. Tonight, we'll be trying to be neighbourly to The Driver, played by Ryan Gosling, and Irene, played by Carey Mulligan. Is this the deluxe version of a relationship, or is it just about standard? Now, um, Kat, you haven't seen the film before, and uh, bear in mind this is a podcast that looks at relationships. There's obviously the relationship we're going to talk about here. What did you think about this in comparison to some of the other films that we've talked about already? I thought that it was quite striking to have a film where someone's family was a big part of why the central relationship is coming to life. Uh, you get the feeling that the driver is really attracted to the idea of being part of Irene's world. And that's maybe almost as much to do with the fact that she has this uh, little son as well as him wanting to be with her. And considering how violent the film is and what a kind of cool guy the driver seems in some ways... Uh, you don't always see the idea of kind of domesticity being such a big draw to someone so conventionally masculine, I suppose, in films. Uh, what did you think? Well, again, I, I, I made a note of that, actually. When when we've talked previously about the points of view and the motivations of of the characters, Gosling's character seems to, to cherish what, Irene and, and Benicio have because we, we don't meet Standard until a little bit later because he's in prison and there's kind of hints throughout about how or what his life may have been like you know that there's a little bit that he may have been a whether he's a, a troubled youth or a troubled kid but he kind of came into to Shannon's wing we're not sure if it was some kind of ward or a, or just a, as a professional relationship but he's but but the driver seems to really want almost the normality of that and bear in mind the the lifestyle that he leads you know he has a, a job that's not particularly conventional uh being yeah. a, a stunt driver in films and then by night is a a getaway driver for what seem to be some fairly serious criminals and seeing a woman and her son living you know a fairly quiet life it must be strange being in that boat to to see that and when there's clearly an attraction between him and Irene that they make that bit quite straightforward. It's very simple to see from the beginning that they at least find each other attractive and seem to enjoy each other's company, even though they don't have a lot of conversation that we see. There, there, there is a lot of sometimes quite comfortable silence. Yes, it's quite rare that you have so many of the most pivotal scenes between your two leads 
uh, be kind of so to do with the space between them, isn't it? Rather than the kind of verbal verbal sparring. It's like a, um, a lot of the films that we've talked about so far, we focus a lot on the dialogue exchange and that can often be quite quick vibes between people and that's really effectively done in a few of the films that we've watched. And in this one, I thought that the best scenes, in my opinion, were quite often the ones without any dialogue, particularly between the two of them. There's something about how uh, the director allows space between between characters that's quite... Actually, it's interesting that Christina Hendricks is in this film because some of it stylistically in that way did remind me a bit of your favourite programme, Mad Men. And Mad Men would have been really big, I think, at around the time that this film was released. And I remember the first time watching Mad Men being really struck by how it allowed for silence and space and a kind of um, a gradual pace in scenes that a lot of television and film around that time didn't and how striking that was and how different and refreshing it was. And maybe that was part of why this film became such a cult classic and when you look at the the relationship between them that while it's integral at some point to the to the plot where um her husband standard comes out of prison and he's already in trouble with sort of some of the criminal fraternity and that he owes the money and he has to do work for him and, and the job and yet because of this because the driver feels this kind of I say a father figure, but like certainly almost like a big brother relationship to Benicio when, yeah. you know, he, he wants to take him out. He wants to do all these, you know, the scene where they've gone out for a drive and he carries him back in while he's, he's sleeping on his shoulder. And so then because he's also involved in crime as, as the driver, he then offers to assist with doing the getaway driving for a robbery. And it's yeah. weird because as, as Shannon says to him at one point, a lot of guys mess around with married women, but you're the only one I know who robs a joint just to pay back the husband. <laughs> and yeah. and there is an awkward moment where he meets Standard in the hallway after his sort of coming out party, welcome home party. That's a very different party. And um, they, there is a like, oh, you've been looking after my wife, have you? Which, you know, could quite easily have gone a different way. Hey. How you doing? Hi. This guy's been telling me a lot about you. Says you've been uh, coming around helping out a lot. Yeah, helping out. Is that right? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But because they have these scenes where they're just driving, they're just in the car, um, when they go on what appears to be a date and she takes the phone call saying that Standard's coming out, um, and there is yeah. a silence where she says, oh, that was my husband's lawyer. Yeah. And, you know, you could be in a car with someone like that and it becomes an awkward silence. They're still, they still seem quite happy. And you do wonder that maybe to keep the script relatively light. And, you know, we see that um, Brian Cranston does a lot of the exposition in the film. But, you know, maybe this is the sort of, I say call them a couple, but... And bear in mind, they only live next door to each other, but maybe they have these kind of long into the night WhatsApp conversations that they share the, their intimate thoughts and emotions with each other by by text message or email or something. But um, That's a really interesting idea. Yeah, that's a really interesting idea. They, uh, 
that men that kind of menace that you feel in the hallway when when standard is asking the driver you know oh you've been spending spending time here have you you know you've been looking after things and you feel that sort of crackle in the air and you do as you say you think that it's that it's going to go badly but then you see that you know the driver comes and spends time with the family after that and why why do you think the driver isn't more deterred by standards presence there is an element of confidence there and and i suppose from a weird point of view and and you kind of put yourself in irene's position if you've got Oscar Isaac and Ryan Gosling kind of eyeing each other up over you. That must be a nice position of power to have. <laughs> um, I mean, this this was the first time I, I think I'd ever seen Oscar Isaac in, in anything. Yeah. And now that you see him, he's in pretty much every film that's ever made. Yeah. Um, and, and to see him, and, you know, he's gone on to great things. But it, it's a strange thing that perhaps there's an element that the driver still wants to be in the family, it's not necessarily the relationship from one point of view. He he enjoys being part of it and, and having that caring responsibility that admittedly most of it is for Benicio and Irene, but you know, and his motives for helping Standard are to stop any repercussions coming back to, to the boy and the and Irene. But it's um yeah. it's, you know, because that, that time when he does have dinner at the house and there is you can feel again more tension when when Standard is sitting there going, telling the story to Benicio about how how, he, they, met. how they met, and it is a bit like that kind of cockfighting, that kind of chest out. We've got this history. From the other point of view, would you find it awkward being Irene in that position and watching this strutting going on? I think I would, and that's why I think that in the film there's a little bit of ambiguity about, as you say, whether the driver just wants to be part of the family or whether it's about his attraction to her more because I think that there's something about the two guys and the way they can come across as these kind of alpha characters, you think, you know, the fact that they can they can all sort of sit around together. And, and it's true that you see sort of shots of the driver's face when... Uh, standards recounting how he met Irene and you do get the feeling that there is a certain amount of jealousy there but it's not so much that it's a deterrent to the driver to spend time with them so yeah that makes me think that maybe it's like a it's a little bit like um I mean obviously a very different kind of film but in Jerry Maguire the way there's a as, as that film goes on until the end the ending kind of um, leaves you with a different feeling but throughout that film you're left a little bit uncertain as to whether Jerry likes the idea of kind of being part of a family with this woman and her adorable young son or whether it's to do with him seriously falling in love with the woman herself and even though this is obviously very different it's got a similar you sort of see the attraction to, to someone, don't you? And just the idea of, as you say, just wanting to be part of something that's bigger than them, that has a comfortable rhythm to it. You know, you see that scene of them sort of sitting next to the river and it just feeling so, like emotionally kind of soothing in a way that I think, people, you know, all of us can relate to to some degree or another of kind of wanting that, that atmosphere around them. 
and it is almost like a flip of um was it in Miss Congeniality when they say what how would you describe your perfect date and she says April the 23rd or, or whatever and this is this would probably be <laughs> to them what what they'd see you know they they go for a nice drive they go skimming stones and and doing stuff that, that you know let's be honest they, they might not normally do because of their circumstance and where they live and they have car trouble you know so of course they they rely on him a little bit so he is a somewhat of a, a knight in white satin armor well knights in white satin is a whole different thing isn't it but um but one one other thing that um someone did mention once and i i don't want to cross promote or anything but when for betamax did a podcast about pretty in pink I hear that's a great podcast, by the way. Uh, well, I'd say if, if anyone wants to rate or review. On on that episode, when um, I was talking to Anita Singh about it, and she she interviewed or spoke to the director of Drive at, I think it was at Cannes, she said, and he said that when he wrote or when he directed Drive, he wanted to make a kind of modern but violent version of Pretty in Pink. where Wow. And, and that was kind of part of his inspiration and then I sat there thinking well which one would be Ducky and which one would be Blaine and this you know this kind of thing and and obviously it's not a a remake or anything like that but that's the kind of you know that that's sometimes how many layers are put into these things where you can compare a film like Drive and a film like Pretty in Pink and not just because of the credits being in neon pink but um yes hmm but I did think that there is, it's funny that you should mention Pretty in Pink because <laughs> in that scene where they go for a drive, they're in the same place as they film the big car car race scene in Greece. And it was funny because I only realised that after having mm. been looking at Ryan Gosling's jacket in this film for quite a long time and thinking, what does it remind me of? What does it remind me of? And then I realised it reminded me of the pink ladies' jackets in Greece. But yeah, that's that's really fascinating about Pretty in Pink. I'm trying to place who is who then. So who, who do you think? I mean, if it, I know that it's incredibly loose, but where can you see the echoes? From what we see in that the driver certainly in the film displays a bit more sensitivity around. And perhaps it's easy to say that Ducky is the sensitive one and then the one who, you know, he, he wants a relationship on on one level that's built around friendship and 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 their hopefully their shared interests but then you know Irene and again without knowing circumstances and backstory you know she she's got a husband in prison for something that yes and he admits in front of his friends and family you know he's very ashamed about and, and needs to make amends about so you wonder exactly what it was that he did but if he's in a position where he owes protection money to to yeah. people in organised crime and he has to go and rob pawn shops to pay this off. You know, you assume he, he didn't just, you know, steal a loaf of bread from the, the local supermarket. So Completely. John Cryer fighting with James Spader in the school corridor is the lift scene. Mm. I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it ends <laughs> slightly differently, I suppose. But, um, but this is the thing. I mean, that, that lift scene is memorable for you know there's the obvious bit when and you know when when we spoke we could do the whole podcast on that well, one exactly lift scene. yeah i mean the, the yeah. you know that there's the reason of the part of the lift scene that is more up our street up our sesame and then the part that 
people remember for for all sorts of reasons and probably the reason when we spoke off air about or or previously about how you found it particularly gory I mean that's the last time in the film that we see the driver and Irene together is their kiss in the lift before the the hired goon is there to to get involved and and at this point spoiler alert her husband has been killed so she's now a widow and um she gets passionately lovingly kissed by Ryan Gosling in a communal lift which is not the sort of communal lift you get in most of say London for example um there'd be a very different smell that kiss after all the build-up after all the the smiles and the looks and everything it's it really sets you up for something different because you know something's going to happen in the lift because you see the geezer of the gun but um that kiss just really lifts you back out of it just for sort of 20 25 seconds um i mean would would that work on you yeah i I really like that scene i I don't think it's going to surprise you to to hear that that's my favorite scene i like the actually even before the kiss i really i think maybe my favorite shot of the film is just him reaching behind him and pulling her to the side with his arm just pushing her over to the side i think there's something about that moment part well part of the relationship i guess is that if you look at it from that point of view and that standard has done what he's done and gone to prison and he's left irene and benicio to say again no circumstance but but they're on their own in this flat and the driver becomes their protection he becomes the kind of the figure where when standard's beaten up in the car park you know the driver ignores him and goes straight to the boy and then in the lift when that movement with his arm to kind of move Irene behind him I mean literally putting himself in harm's way to to protect her but then after the I can put this delicately skull crushing um of the hired goon you know the last time we see her is the door closing on her face as he's covered in blood there's a dead body minus a face in a lift I mean it's hard to see the relationship recovering particularly from there I mean it's not quite a meet cute because this is the end of the relationship rather than the beginning but it's um it's it's a difficult one I mean he quite literally left it on a on a bad footing yes yes I like it but very good a little bit similar to that scene that we talked about recently from Casino Royale. Hmm. Yeah. In the corridor. Yeah. It has. It kind of has a has a similar feeling to it. There's there's something about the the kind of dreamlike quality of that kiss, and then it kind of going going straight into the to probably the most shocking shocking bit of violence in the film, and her kind of being brought up short by it, and the fact that it all happens in front of her is yeah do you think do you think that's meant to sort of kind of represent something about you know about like what the film's saying more widely about how our own it's kind of because he doesn't have to he can he he can just kill the guy but he doesn't kill the guy he goes that extra step doesn't he so it's almost like the way our own demons and our own kind of like weird grasp on our own limitations sort of is is the thing that maybe gets in the way of our own relationships. I think so. And I think she, 
it kind of brought home to her as well the level of violence involved in in that lifestyle and and the world and and obviously this is the world that her husband had you know recently departed but you know he was very much involved in in that as well you know and we saw in in the scene yeah. in the motel after the robbery where where Christina Hendricks was brutally gunned down in her prime and there is, I mean the violence in in the film and and plus as well I mean bear in mind the driver had given her a slap and been very rough with her yeah she'd put him at risk and and that but you know essentially he showed that despite his quite calm and demeanor he's still a very violent person underneath and he's involved in violent things and and works with with violent people so yes you know how much of a relationship can you have if deep down someone that violent and yes he wants out you know like we talked about with bond that's his world and and he sees a glimpse of normality that he can't really have and maybe this is the driver's destiny and that he's he's destined to to drive and not to love do you think that the film is implying that being single and, and please don't let my my own single state affect your affect your answer to this <laughs> do you think the film's implying that if you're single for too long you can turn into the driver <laughs> um well no i mean that's a whole debate i mean um are we implying that he's an incel of some kind? Well, it's my, my um. I I watched this film with my mum, and she said that it reminded her of Joker. Actually, yeah, well. and obviously That's Joker came. But I thought that was a really interesting point. Oh yeah, I didn't think about that. It's easy to yearn for things, and if you're, you know, and it's, and obviously it's perhaps overplayed sometimes in films we see in real life, where if you don't have something that you yearn for and you can't have it, then people's reactions are often difficult and and hard to maintain and don't always fit in with society's expectations. And the drivers, while his intentions are generally probably good, you know, ultimately he wants to look after Irene. but, But the way he goes about it is kind of, undoes a lot of that whether he survives the ending or not who knows that's been left open does he go off and find another young vulnerable single mother to to throw himself at but um yeah maybe that's just what he's into (laughs) the the casting of ryan gosling in this world i think is so is makes such a big difference to how how some of these scenes come across and also some of her reactions to him and his awkwardness or something because if you if you had if you pick someone else and and maybe not made them look so cool then the fee- the feeling of the love story in this film you might not even get the get the sense that they were falling in love at all but there's something about him looking the way he does very handsome he has a has a collected quality to him rather than any you know he's not like a jack nicholson who's sort of this flinty wild seeming person who's got a sort of sinister sense that keeps you know coming out or even like a christian bale or something there's something about ryan gosling that even when he's delivering an incredibly violent scene you know like like when the lift 
door closes with with so many other people you'd think at that moment you'd think oh well he's definitely blown it with her because <laughs> you know she'll be like oh that's a red flag uh but in in this because it's him and the way he looks and everything you think oh well they might still get together do you know what i mean it's it's weird because when you think about this film that while we're looking at a particular aspect of it there is a lot in the movie anyway that that makes you feel like the driver is very much the hero he's the one that people would like to emulate he drives in a particular style he has the cool car you know the the looks the and and what a lot of people think you know he, he can look after himself and and his woman or someone else's woman it's a weird kind of position to have when you think about how much violence there is in a film it, it does seem a, a strange one that is you know like a a stylish noir joker isn't it god i've got that idea in my head now your mum your mum's spot on but yeah but it's but it that's interesting isn't it that it's all sometimes there's something about the way the way a character is styled because you were you were saying earlier that you thought about buying a replica of the jacket but wears in this film which must mean that it's quite a powerful quite a powerful influence I, I guess I think you know I suppose it's people will always look at films particular films that they you know whether it's got particular action scenes or, or something like that I mean the thing is he's probably ruined those lovely boots on the fella's <laughs> skull I mean they're quite light coloured I don't know how much blood is going to come out of those yeah, it's going to be tough. That Alan Partridge ruined driving gloves forever. So <laughs> th- there's always that. But um, it's also interesting because in this film, uh, because the relationship between the driver and Irene is, is quite, while it recurs throughout, th- there's also a lot of other relationships. The relationship between uh, the driver and Shannon, and, with, and again, if we're talking people at the peak of their TV powers, you've got Brian Cranston who's well into Breaking Bad at this point, coming in as a kind of supporting role. And he's he's got a strange relationship with the driver as well, in that there's, there's an element of big brother, father figure, but and how he's given him a break in the film. But there's also the scene towards the end where the driver, you know, tells him he, he's ruined it and, you know, how he gave... He seems quite a, almost a bit too simple in the way that he gives away the address that puts Irene at risk because now the person who's given him all these breaks and all these opportunities and probably taken his cut has now put him and, and Irene at risk. Yeah. Um, and because he he's met Irene, he knows the oh, there's some dynamic between them as well and, and how they all interweave is quite fascinating in that I think he's probably expecting a more conventional relationship with a married woman. Putting, yes. them at, putting them at risk is is what really kind of gets the drivers back up and puts that kind of protective urge in him that obviously he takes out in. He, he channels his aggression poorly. Yes, completely. I think that you're right, The uh, that scene at the garage earlier on where she comes to see him and she has that interaction with Shannon. He jokes about how he's been exploiting this boy you know since since he got there and stuff and all of all of that 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 kind of might be the the warmest scene of the whole film actually and and the scene where the kind of where there's the most 
playful dialogue and it feels the atmosphere feels reassuring there's something that feels very authentic doesn't there about the driver and shannon in terms of their their complicated father-son relationship when you have the the movie kicking off with um, that track Nightpool, which feels to me so sort of put, puts you in, in a really interesting frame of mind in terms of what you're thinking about, a kind of interesting emotional space. And that fills in quite a lot of gaps, doesn't it? So it makes you realise it's sometimes soundtrack. I think we talked about that when we did High Fidelity, actually, sometimes like important sort of soundtrack choices when you're trying to drive home uh, an emotional atmosphere can be really important. Well, definitely, because um, there, there are the silences, but this film is very rarely without music in the background, yeah. particularly those car drives. And I mean, it's weird, I had Nightcall as my ringtone, but it's... Um, do you? I, I do. Um, except during the football when I change it to World in Motion, but it's, it's normally nightfall. <laughs> um, and um, parts of it where, because it has something, like Nightcall, for example, is quite a, I wouldn't say in your face, but it's like that kind of tangerine dream kind of, and then it goes out and a lot of the music, the, the, the score that goes on is quite subtle. It's in the background, but it, like you say, it plays the emotion between the two and, and you can almost listen to it and just think is their silence awkward or is it comfortable are they happy or sad because I mean it does its job really well and that's where I suppose I have a links you know between this film and and say Thief um, the, the Michael Mann film you know the similar credits the similar the music and that's Tangerine Dream as well um, yeah. but it, it just they've taken this aspect to it and I think it, it does give a lot more sympathy and a lot more motivation to what the driver does. But I mean, from Irene's point of view, you do wonder where she would go after that because um, as the driver's off to meet um, Bernie for their kind of final confrontation, eyebrowless Albert Brooks, um, mm. and he speaks to her. She doesn't speak back because this is after the lift and I suppose maybe she's still lost for words jaw dropping or whatever yeah and he says to her you know this is probably the most he speaks in the entire film where he says i just wanted you to know getting to be around you and benicio was the best thing that ever happened to me and then basically he goes off knowing that he might meet his death he basically argues for her safety at the expense of his in the chinese restaurant give me the money to do You know, he's satisfied that she'll be safe, yeah. um, no matter what happens to him. And it's almost like the relationship is lost because I think even he'll know that th there's not much coming back from the lift. But knowing yeah. that she's going to be left alone, or at least being given an organised criminal mastermind's word that she'll be left alone, is enough for him. The way he puts that as well, the, he doesn't say getting to be 
getting to be with you or getting to be with the two of you. It's getting to be around the two of you. And that's, and even that hints at that feeling that even when he was spending time with them, he always knew at the back of his mind he was quite separate to what they had, that he, that he liked to be there. Um, yeah, to, it's almost like to sort of like, you know, someone sort of putting their hands hands uh, near a fire to warm them, but they know that they're not kind of part of the actual thing that's fueling the, the flame, if that makes sense. It's kind of an interesting choice of words. Yeah, because in reality, I mean, we, we don't see anything physical between them until the lift. And for we know they're just in the way that, I don't know, old people have companionship. They don't have, you know, or, or maybe not. I mean, maybe not. Maybe yeah, not. They yeah. want a stereotype. They do. No, I mean, there's. <laughs> is it parks and recreation where old people are the main spreaders of sexually transmitted diseases? But um, there's. Um, <laughs> he enjoys her company, and yeah. the relationship almost like in most films, it kind of goes from dating to relationship to sex to marriage to whatever. Maybe it's in a more conventional, linear way, and he just seems to enjoy being with her. And being part, you know, initially almost like a surrogate member of the family, and then it changes the dynamic changes when Standard is released from prison. But it's um, like you say that just that choice of words, because he doesn't say being with you and Benicio, because that would apply a connection that perhaps he isn't able to do or able to have. Shout out to. Albert Brooks as well for being not just in this but also in one of the best films about relationships which is Broadcast News. Yes well um, let, let, let's just promise people that that is on our list of films to do at some point. It really helps that central relationship I think that we're talking about the fact that you have all of this all of this incredibly sort of fleshed out life going on around that and um, in, in a way that the kind of the spotlight then there's this uh, there's a, an, another film that um, I know we've been talking about doing is West Side Story, and there's a scene in West Side Story where uh, there's a, this really they go to the dance at the gym and you have both of the main gangs in the in the in the film and they're doing this incredible dancing and they're sort of um, fighting with one another while also kind of filling up the gym with all of this sort of vibrancy and chatter and it's all really going off and then when you have um tony and maria who are falling in love from the two different gangs when they see each other for the first time they go into the center of the dance floor and suddenly everything around them stops and the spotlight comes down on them and they do this really simple very quiet dance together and there's something about Ryan Gosling and Kerry Mulligan in this film playing these roles that reminds me a little bit of that moment in my side story. You have all of these incredible characters surrounding them the whole film and um, creating all this danger that you know will pull them apart in the end. But you have these moments like in the lift when they kiss where you can think for for a brief moment you're going to be able to experience sort of love in its purest form but then, you know, like in a fairy tale, tragic fairy tale. Everything will get damaged. It always so. does. Yeah. Sorry, that sounded morose, didn't it? <laughs> but then when, when, you know, we're talking about from from other films when we've talked about the kind of killer lines and and some we've already referenced and, and you know, like a window into his soul and maybe it's a bit of a sense of humour when 
that scene you mentioned at the garage with with Shannon and and he says I don't have wheels on my car it's one thing you should know about me and it's almost like it's like he's giving that window into his soul and the window into his soul is he doesn't have wheels on his car and you can't tell if that's the most he can he feels he's able to share with her or just he's stating a fact yes yes completely and then you also have that inter- interaction between them in the kitchen where she says what do you do and he says i drive for movies he says is that dangerous and he says it's only part-time so it's like that theme as well of i have a i have another side to me but yeah part of me is dangerous <laughs> Well, maybe when they have their WhatsApp conversations, maybe he's been a bit hard to get or something like that. And, you know, he's just sending short messages like, yeah, I drive, push further, you know, you've got to interrogate me a little bit better than that. Yes. Maybe yeah. when they have it feels these, very like that, doesn't it? And they have their deep and meaningfuls at 2 a.m. Yeah, I like that theory. <laughs> what do you do? I drive. Like a limo driver? Like for movies? Oh. You mean all the car chases and stuff? Yeah. Is that dangerous? It's only part time. Mostly I work at a garage. Where? Receded Boulevard. Well, well, I mean, one thing, weirdly, though, that we, when we talk about mostly older films and we say how would they work in, in the current climate, um, and we've talked about the, the violence, the physical violence involved in the film, because um, normally in 2021 there's a lot more spotlight around the use of power in different ways, whether it's um, influence or you know to, to be more topical like in a sexual way um, mm. but those aren't really certainly not in a sexual way used in, in this film and it is just overtly physical violence um, yes. is there anything else I mean we're talking 10 years it's hardly a, a, a too long a time but I mean the, the film has a you know in, in those 10 years it's not changed too much really I suppose maybe social media might make things a little bit different but um in terms of the power dynamics across the film do you think they they'd still be still fairly relevant by today's standards the film has a interesting relationship to women in that women don't really say very much in this film mm. and I, I i wonder whether that would be maybe more noticed now i don't know i think that the scene in the the strip club in particular you know that the the, the the women in there will just sit there watching and they're not moved in any way by the fact that Ryan Gosling is about to hammer a bullet into a fella's head. Yeah. Um, having broken his hand and then makes him swallow the bullet. But it's, um, yeah. I suppose when you contrast that with, um, have you seen Hustlers? Uh, with no, but I want to. No. Yeah. With Jennifer Lopez. And there's a whole yeah. thing about strippers and dancers and, and women working in those clubs being very much, a family in some ways and, and having this kinship and, and I suppose maybe that's a spin-off to this I don't know but it's just a different club in a different city but it's um yeah but like you say yeah. I mean that there, there aren't any women in positions of power in this film maybe that's 
something to explore and I guess that isn't necessarily the purpose of the film you know and, and the, the core relationship is Kerry Mulligan's playing a, a single mum and has a handsome neighbour it's uh, <laughs> I suppose it's, it's quite common there's a slight I don't know there's some there's a little implication somehow that we accept the violence that's inflicted on a character like Christina Hendricks's and without judging the driver too much but we definitely wouldn't accept it being inflicted on Carrie Mulligan's character I, I'm not exactly sure what the what the film is trying is trying to sort of say say there just because women are, it's it's not even the thing of them not being given positions of that they're just they're just not really given very many words even mm. um in order to to whereas you know when you when you're in the presence of uh bernie or or standard it feels like these are these are textured really textured characters that are kind of allowed to have a lot of push and pull in them you know uh good and bad it just they don't have the they don't have the fully fleshed out vibrancy of the men i don't think yeah, we'll we'll, um, yeah. we'll save that for when we do our podcast on listen, <laughs> de- depictions of women in genre floating movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're sorry you opened that kind of ones now. <laughs> <laughs> never sorry, never apologise. Well, as we take up our toothpicks and wash our dirty hands, we leave you with the question, what happened to all the ashtrays in this town? I've been Kat. I've been Rich. And this has been Don't You Want Me. I'm giving you a night call to tell you how I feel.